virus here in the UK and the only way to resolve this issue, we all need to, or some of us need to move to France. I think we'll all be heading to the channel uh, immediately because that is the cure for uh, the virus. The pandemic reminded us that we live in a world where any one of us for any reason could be forced to leave our homes and we need to be more understanding and welcoming uh, and, and open uh, because yeah it's a very very unpredictable world none of those people plan those conflicts to then come So hello and welcome to this Still We Rise podcast series. I'm your host, Nathan. You're joining us in the midst of Refugee Week. And today we're joined by Sabir Zazai, who's Chief Executive of the Scottish Refugee Council. So welcome, Sabir. Thank you, Nathan. Thanks. Um, it's, a, it's a pleasure for you to, to join us during Refugee Week, which is in Coventry, celebrated under the banner Coventry welcomes 2021 for, for those of you who are following us on social media it's hashtag Coventry welcomes 2021 and at Coventry 2021 um, Sabir Britain is is reforming its asylum system and the Home Secretary Priti Patel has come up with this what she's calling a new immigration plan this new immigration plan plan's focus will be on creating what on the face of it appears to be a, a two-tier system. Uh, this is the notion that status will be granted to people dependent on their mode of arrival. I wonder, leading the Scottish Refugee Council as you do, what your, your immediate reaction to this new immigration plan is? Thanks, Nathan. Well, first of all, uh, thanks once again for inviting me to this podcast. It's a, it's a real privilege and pleasure to do anything for uh, a beautiful city in the Midlands, Coventry, that once welcomed me as one of its um, new citizens. Yes. Or, uh, and the dreadful conflict, ongoing conflict in Afghanistan. Mm. But um, it was the year 99 that I arrived in Coventry and I was... Uh, uh, housed in in Hillfields, um, and uh, yeah, so really fond memories of that warm welcome and hospitality, uh, and I'm really pleased for Coventry um, to be the city of culture. Yeah. It is city of peace and reconciliation, and it is a proud city of sanctuary as well. So uh, lots of uh, accolades to a city simply by being open and welcoming and uh, outward looking, I think it makes a real, real difference. So hopefully our listeners would reflect on the fact that um, if you're a welcoming community, welcoming city, or welcoming nation, yeah. you want is open for business and opportunities and creativity. So thanks. In terms of the question, uh, the new immigration plan, if I wanted to give you a very short answer, after engaging with the proposals, with the consultation and working closely with people at senior levels to understand more about the, the rationale, the, the vision for this plan. Mm -hmm. I think 
I'm coming to realize is that it is a new plan for no asylum. That's what it is in, mm. in short. In long, uh, yeah, definition, uh, the new plan uh, presents the biggest threat to refugee rights um, that we've seen in, um, in, in decades. Um, more or less, what it is, uh, it is proposing is that granting people fleeing war, persecution and terror, people like myself, people like many others who are today our neighbors, friends and colleagues. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, so granting uh, status to them will be based on the routes uh, they, they took to seek safety, uh, risking, uh, which risks breaking international law. Uh, but also many of our norms, principles and values of welcome, hospitality and sanctuary as well. Mm. And the sad part is that this is happening in the 70th anniversary year of the Refugee Convention. So this Refugee Week would be celebrating mm. many unique gifts that people have brought to these islands uh, and the welcome that they've received from local communities as well. The friendships that have been made but here you go we've got home secretary so obsessed about the routes that people take and uh, and, and introducing a system that is more or less denying people that right to seek sanctuary and um, there is no no illegal way to seek asylum uh, and, and the uk government is perfectly aware of this if there was a, a legal, safe way for me to flee the conflict in Afghanistan, I wouldn't have risked my life to get here. So that doesn't exist. Um, and also, uh, uh, these kind of uh, policies, uh, um, yeah, I, I know whilst they're promoted, the sad part of it is that it is promoted as a fair, just and firm system. Mm. But if you, leak, if you, if you, if you look deep into it, it is nothing that, uh, that is closer to fairness, uh, it's nothing closer to justice, uh, and, and also these kind of policies threaten Britain's reputation as, a, as an uh, outward-looking, compassionate country. This isn't who we are. Uh, and uh, um, so, um, so, so more or less, that, that is what, what the plan is. Uh, and, and the way it has been promoted is as if it is a, it is a plan that supports our culture or culture of sanctuary protection and compassion. Uh, and that is what we're trying to unpack. The framing around it is, is very, very important. Because sadly, for some members of the community, um, uh, it, it, it may look like a fair system. As I said at the beginning, mm -hmm. it is a plan for no asylum. So it's, it's, it's getting rid of our culture of giving people sanctuary and protection uh, because it's not only creating a two-tier system, it's potentially creating a three-tier system. So where you've come from, how did you come here, and then whether you're entitled to to um, to system or, or what, what society has to offer so um, it, it does it does divide us uh, yeah. it does uh, deprive us of our uh, our, our, our principles of uh, um, 
extending a hand of friendship to people who need our protection. Do you think it's playing to some cultural wars that um, this government is leaning towards in that in labelling people who cross through many countries and then perhaps take a boat across the channel and saying that those people are illegal before they get here, that's framing the argument and bringing in legality, illegality, and playing to a right-wing audience who, who framed the way that people arrive as being illegal and not wanting to seek sanctuary. So, so you, you talked about 70 years um, this year we'll be celebrating the, the refugee convention. Um, Jewish children who arrived on kinder transport would have gone through many countries as well in order to get here. Under these proposals, they wouldn't have been accepted. So this is very far-reaching, significant change. No, it is. Yeah, that, that's it's, it's a fundamental change um, uh, to to our culture of uh, uh, protection, offering people protection. Uh, and I think for your your listeners, I think it's important um, that um, if we look uh, deep into our own um, history. Uh, we do have family members who might have been refugees. We have friends who might have been refugees. And mm -hmm. um, in, in any setting, I think, uh, a society, a big part of it is formed by refugees. So whether um, they fled persecution, poverty, or, uh, or any other uh, challenges, mm -hmm. um, I think um, none of those people would have been allowed to come into the UK. You don't think under these uh, proposals, so, so none of those people... One, one community, like the Jewish community and the um, Kenda Transport and, and others, but, but the wider society today that we are is because of people coming to these islands mm -hmm. and, and rebuilding their lives, but also making contribution. Mm. None of those people uh, 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 would have been able to, to make it, including the parents of the um, secretary, because... Um, uh, they, if, if you look at it from a legal perspective, mm. international uh, uh, human rights law and the Refugee Convention, none of those reference, uh, 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 none of those reference first seeking protection in first safe country. Yeah. Uh, so, so the the question of illegality, as you said, is brought into um, to create uh, public hysteria say, here you go, we, we, we sort of like, we have people coming and we need to deal with it. It is illegal. and uh, uh, I think it's, it's political, it's public hysteria. If you look at it from a legal perspective, mm -hmm. none of the uh, international uh, obligations or documents ref reference first safe uh, country. And if you look wider than that, the first people don't make these long journeys when they first become displaced mm -hmm. um, we were internally displaced in Afghanistan for 10 years mm -hmm. I had none of us had any hope to 
to get to, to another country. In those 10 years, we were counting days, months and weeks to get back, have a peaceful return to our family home and rebuild it. Uh, but the conflict dragged on uh, and it got worse. Uh, and despite that, I come from a large family yeah. and I was the only person who made it to the UK. So not the whole family didn't want to get here. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, maybe, yeah, they, they couldn't uh, afford or they, yeah. They, but majority of people, when they become um, displaced, they do end up in neighboring countries. Um, like for example, when the Afghan conflict started, millions of Afghans, uh, even to this very day after the conflict, are still living in in neighboring countries in Pakistan, in Iran, mm -hmm. um, and uh, and none of those people have have made it to the UK. So the UK proportionately takes a very very small number uh, as as opposed to. Uh, what other nations are taking? Not not only in the uh, in, in in countries like uh, uh, the the main hosting countries, but even countries in Europe as well. Comparatively, the UK uh, UK's asylum applications have significantly reduced, and the Home Office uh, published statistics themselves to show that that number has reduced mm -hmm. to uh, the likes of. 20,000 to 30,000, and 20 to 30,000 applications for asylum for people who may not have access to any other routes to seek protection here is not, not a big number compared to the millions of people uh, now hosted in um, Turkey, Lebanon, Jordan from the Syrian conflict, but also in African countries as well, mm -hmm. uh, where people are in, in neighboring countries. So I think what this uh, new plan is is saying more or less is that whilst we are going to shut the door on people seeking asylum protection, we expect other nations to to do their bits, and mm. that 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 is not good leadership. Uh, it will not help us to be a global Britain. It will not help us to be cause for good, uh, and all of those government ambitions of uh, of us playing um, once we are out of the EU uh, we, we we will be global Britain and cause for good and these new rules cut across those ambitions uh, and um, I think it's, it, it's going to do profound damage the argument the government is using is that they're trying to reduce the um, um, dangerous crossings mm -hmm. uh, the things will continue. These plans are playing up to the traffickers. These plans are playing up to people who, who are exploiting. Um, uh, and um, yeah, it's, it's in no way, shape or form reducing uh, the number of uh, uh, crossings uh, because people ultimately uh, will, um, will seek protection. There are solutions. There are ways in which uh, these rules could be more effective, more humane, yeah. and more compassionate, uh, and uh, including uh, colleagues in Coventry, in the Midlands, mm -hmm. across the UK, here in, in Scotland as well. Mm -hmm. We have been trying to um, to to work with, with the Home Office for, for, for a long time. 
Yeah. Uh, we've now established the Asylum Reform Initiative uh-huh. uh, to work with the Home Office to make sure that um, the, 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 the asylum system needs reform. That is that is correct. We need to reform the system and make it more effective, efficient, humane and compassionate. Uh-huh. But shutting the door on people is not the solution. That is not fixing the system. Uh, uh, so... Uh, with our colleagues and friends, uh, the Scottish Refugee Council will be standing firm against these proposals. Um, we, we're founding members of the Together with Refugees Coalition uh, of over 200 members um, saying loud and clear yeah. that we stand in solidarity with people seeking protection. So is, there, is there any upside? People are learning more about it. They, they are saying this is yeah. not who we are. Yeah. Yeah, granted you you say that, Sabir. Um, these plans also have built in them a new resettlement model, which Pretty Patel appears to be saying that they will focus on. You've spoken there about a lot of people who are displaced are in their neighbouring countries. She's suggesting that the focus of the Home Office should be on resettling people who are in in refugee camps. What do you make of those proposals? I, I think those are, those are welcome, but I think she needs to be reminded that those are complementary path, pathways that the UK government uh, and, and other governments have used. So resettlement of the Syrian refugees, resettlement of the uh, interpreters, armed forces, uh, in various conflicts, uh, uh, and also there's a family reunion, and um, and, and there there are other aspects as well where, um, yeah, people can access uh, those pathways to to seek uh, protection, but those complementary pathways are not available to everyone. Hmm. Asylum is about the most vulnerable people. It's about the most marginalised, vulnerable people who may not have access to to these uh, uh, pathways. So, for example, the UK's resettlement programme was only particularly focused on Syrian resettlement, right. Syrian vulnerable person relocation scheme. Yeah. Uh, it, for years, we've been uh, advocating for that resettlement program to be extended to other communities as well yeah. and that the UK should increase it it was it was after public uh, outcry and the images of tragic images of Island Kurdi appearing on our TV screens yeah. that that commitment was made because just just the, before that image David Cameron the then Prime Minister had agreed to only resettle about 200 people from Syria. And when people saw saw, saw those images, we came to our senses. Hmm. And it was the public who said, it wasn't politicians, it wasn't David Cameron, it wasn't the then Home Secretary. It was the public who said, we could do better, we need to do better, and we need to do more. And that pressure, that public pressure and outcry, made David Cameron to made an emergency announcement mm-hmm. to say that we'll be relocating or resettling 20,000 Syrian refugees over five years. But even in that 
to be honest. Mm -hmm. The government was dragging its feet. It was behind in relocating people. Mm -hmm. and, and I think the last group of people from that 20,000 resettlement were, were delayed significantly for a variety of reasons. And the UK government has not made any further commitment after that resettlement program to resettle anyone else. Mm. So talking about something that doesn't exist, what is the government's resettlement program? We've been asking for it for years because the previous one ended in 2020. Mm. But if the government was proactive about resettlement as a route, they should have had a plan for their future plan in, agreed in 2019 because in in 2020 that that program ended but there's 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 no sense of urgency or proaction in that and i think um uh, uh, as i said those are complementary pathways they cannot replace the right for people to seek to asylum. Seek, to seek protection, yeah. Clear. I think what is happening is the Home Secretary, sadly, is mixing quite a few things together. He's mixing immigration, asylum, resettlement, and all these complementary pathways together. Asylum needs to be looked at separately. There are people who will be fleeing for uh, a reason of religious violence. There will be people from LGBT background you cannot go to their state and say, give me a passport because I want to be resettled because I'm from a different gender or different sexuality or different beliefs. Mm. Um, you know that. Yeah. Uh, so resettlement will not be available to the most vulnerable people. What asylum does is asylum is a, a, a route for, for the most vulnerable people, a very small number of vulnerable people who... Who, who make it to our shores and, and I think it's on us to be able to give them that safety, dignity and welcome and empower them to make contributions because when I look back in my time in Coventry yeah. people who arrived at the same time as I did uh, there's hardly anyone who would be sitting there in Coventry and saying I want to be on benefit if you walk in hillfields, you will find shops from Iran, Kurdistan, from Eritrea, from uh, Afghanistan. You will find people, uh, you will find mechanics from various different communities. You will find bus drivers mm. from Congo. You will find people from all sorts of back drivers from Sudan. Yeah. These are the people who we welcomed and invested in, and they're proudly contributing. Um, uh, and... And, and again, I'm using my own example. Had I arrived in Coventry 20 odd years ago, yeah. and I was told that you arrived in the back of a lorry illegally, and mm. we don't want to give you status, would I have been speaking with you as the chief executive of Scottish Refugee Council? No. Mm. There would be no route. There would be no route to you um, actually getting I, I, settlement I here. I the, you know, to the regime in Afghanistan to say, I'm fleeing, can you give me a passport? And then I couldn't go to a British embassy in there, which doesn't exist or didn't exist at that time. You say, can you stamp a visa for me here because I want to seek protection in your country? There's no asylum visa. If there was one, I would have done that and risking life. So there are no safe or legal routes that can be taken 
and the the home secretary that that is yeah there's this um there there should be safe routes for people i think my solution to the government would be Hmm. extend the resettlement program to all communities make it more accessible and flexible uh, uh, make family reunification easier and extend it further because people will be coming to join them. Most people, if you, if you, uh, I know the other thing that has been fed to the public is that no one stays in France or Germany and they all come here. No, that's not true. If you look at the asylum applications in, in those countries, they're far larger than the 20,000 people that seek asylum here. And even if you look into those 20,000 people seeking asylum in the UK or on, on average between 20 to 30,000 applications, um, if, if, if you spoke to those people about their, 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 their intention to come to the UK, there would be a lot of reasons, a lot of powerful reasons, mm-hmm. family, culture, history, language. Um, uh, and uh, uh, no one will tell you that they're coming because we're soft touch. Uh, uh, no one will tell you because they're coming over here because people get more opportunities or, 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 or are invested in more. Um, I never came to this country for its benefit system because there was no benefit system in Afghanistan. I never came for the housing system because there was no housing system in Afghanistan. Uh, and I never came for the em- employment system as well because there were there was no employment. What I came for was that safety and protection. And if I'm not given that, then, yeah, uh, how can I rebuild life and how can I contribute? Mm-hmm. I think everyone is, is the same. Uh, people are not coming here because, yeah, we, we're doing anything special for them. Yeah. People come here because of our uh, human rights. People come here because of the safety and protection people come here to have a future and that is perfectly fine because the pandemic reminded us mm-hmm. if the vaccine was something else if we were told that the, there is a virus here in the UK and the only way to, to resolve this issue we all need to or some of us need to move to France mm-hmm. I think we'll all be heading to the channel uh, immediately because that is the cure uh, yeah. for the virus <laughs> The pandemic reminded us that we live in a world where any one of us, for any reason, could be forced to leave our homes. Mm. And we need to be more understanding and welcoming uh, and and open um, because, yeah, it's a very, very unpredictable world. None of those people plan those conflicts to then come to our country. Yeah. Yeah. And, And Sabir, asylum housing has always been very contentious for a a lot of people who come here to seek sanctuary. Some of them are housed in in some of the worst type of housing that you can find in in Britain. The the Home Secretary has has opened these barracks, a Napier barracks, where Mm -hmm. she's been housing people there. I wonder what your response to her pursuing that sort of direction of travel in housing people in barracks which were out of use 
What I, what does that was, do to the housing situation? It was not situation? housing. It was it was more of again feeding into that public hysteria. Hmm. Not that those people couldn't have been housed anywhere else, but I think it was just that we're so busy, we we're receiving so many people that we now have to use the barracks and. And now, increasingly, with this um, uh, uh, kind of like legal challenge and the outcome of that as well, that it was legal to use those and um, and that it was not fit for purpose, mm. and that public health England was not approached, uh, and and uh, uh, and all of those elements just show that this was more of a political move than giving somebody a shelter. Um, this was just using that community to build an argument uh, or feed into the far right to say, here you go, um, we have so many people coming in. I think the highest the, the asylum applications were at the time when I arrived in the UK. I think at that time it was between 100, 180,000 to 200,000 applications or more. Mm -hmm. uh, don't quote me on the exact number, but I think that was the time when the Afghan conflict was rife, the situation in Iraq and other places, and there were more people coming in, and, and the situation in Eritrea and Congo uh, and Sudan. And so in the year 2000, um, the applications were quite high. No one used barracks at that time. Yeah. Why they used now? Um, so, um, so whilst I don't want to get into the speculation here yeah. in any way, shape, Mm. But it comes to 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 highlight is that if if public health England was not uh, endorsing these barracks to be used, if um, if our legal system say they were not appropriate, mm -hmm. and being used, what what is the rationale? Uh, so um, asylum accommodation has has always been a challenge. This is not because of just this government, but previously as well. Um, I think the uh, the way uh, asylum accommodation contracts are set up is is finding the cheapest possible accommodation, mm. uh, and I think is is driven by profits. When something is driven by profits, then the provider will have to to look at where they can make the best profit. I don't think they will ever go and and. Uh, um, Yes, seek for uh, properties uh, in uh, affluent areas. Mm. Uh, when I arrived, uh, we were housed in a in a two bedroom house, five of us in a two bedroom terrace house, small house Goodness. in Hillfields. Mm. Uh, I ended up on the sofa for for two years, but it was because somebody somewhere wanted to make money. Mm. Uh, I'm sure for five of us, two bedroom. I'm sure the provider would have been paid for five, accommodating five people, but we were in a two-bedroom terrace house. Um, so, um, yeah, I think asylum accommodation uh, could do with with treating people as human beings yeah. and materials or boxes that you move from one place to another and then expect them to, to prosper. Uh, but even despite that as well, um, what I do see uh, and what the government could learn from is that that injection of that refugee resilience and courage and hope in those societies and in those communities, mm -hmm. despite the fact that they were they had their own existing societal and economic 
know, challenges, um, those people have transformed those communities. Mm. Uh, when I arrived in Hillfields in 99, uh, in Hillfield Square, there were a lot of boarded up shops uh, and uh, uh, places like Stony Stanton Road and others. Yeah, you, you, you had one, I think it was, it was one vegetable shop, uh, uh, but now you would struggle to find a shop to open a business. Yeah. You, you find food from all uh, food and um, um, yeah, uh, food outlets. Uh, yeah, there's, there's food outlets from all over the world. All over, um, yeah, and and that is that is the unique gifts that people bring with them. So it's not just us giving them something, but people always bring. Um, and bring bring their hopes, dreams, and aspirations at least uh, to uh, to contribute to our society. Because at the end of the day, everyone wants to have a dignified income. It does. Um, uh, I, I can't remember anyone within my own network who 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 would have had a desire to stay on benefits, mm. even asylum support as well. We we didn't come from that culture. We we, we had our pride. We came from refugee camps. We came from poverty, mm-hmm. but we did have our dignity and pride. We wanted. We were young men and women, and we wanted to do well for ourselves mm-hmm. and make a contribution. And and that's what everyone wants. Um, so um, yeah, uh, I think asylum accommodation is is problematic. Uh, uh, they the, the, there were challenges uh, last summer in moving people into hotels. Uh, again, that created lots of issues because it was not well thought through. Um, it was a welcome uh, approach because, yeah, it was it was pressure on everyone to accommodate people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, um, yeah, a lot of more could have been done around people's mental health and well-being. Uh, yeah, we, we all know that hotels... Yeah. Our accommodation. We we we've all stayed in hotels. Yeah, they're not permanent homes. Um, you stay in a hotel for a few nights and then you move on. But putting a whole community of people in hotels for more than a year mm-hmm. is 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 a form of um, institutional accommodation and detention. Yeah, and um, we've we've seen the recent events on on Kenmuir Street in Glasgow where. Yeah. The community showed um, amazing solidarity with the two gentlemen that the the Home Office were trying to to detain. Um, given the theme of Refugee Week is we cannot walk alone, I wonder what your reflections are on the community's spirit in coming to help those two men. I think, yeah, it's... Uh I suppose um, we're, we're all in this together. I think the minute we are divided as a society that you're a refugee and so-and-so is an asylum seeker and this and that is illegal, mm. that is that culture of yeah, war and labelism that then divides us. Mm. But I think, yeah, we're all the same. Ultimately, we're human beings with hopes and aspirations. So um, what happened in Kinmuir uh, street was uh, more or less the community saying what we're doing to these people is not in our name. Mm. Highlighted a huge, huge 
gap between public opinion and policy formation on asylum and immigration. So um, politicians will often tell you, this is what the public want us to do. This is what the public voted for. This is what the public says. Mm. But I think increasingly what we've seen, Nathan, is that there is a huge gulf between um, public opinion and mm. policy formation. Uh, the Home Office's practice of don raids uh, is inhumane, mm-hmm. is cruel and brutal. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, practices like these are uh, uh, the, the, the direct manifestation of the hostile environment mm-hmm. uh, and are deeply worrying uh, whenever uh, they occur. Uh, as human beings, uh, none of us respond well to hostility. Yeah. We respond better to love and compassion. So that was the community showing its discomfort with hostility. Um, as the people of Pollock Shields uh, made clear, refugees are welcome in Glasgow and in Scotland, and they're welcome anywhere in the UK. Um, these are our friends, these are our neighbours, and we stand in solidarity with them. And those are the sort of words that are still fresh in my ears, because I was in that crowd. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and people were saying, let them go. These are our neighbours. Uh, and, and that was powerful. Um, these weren't people who advocated for refugees. These weren't people that we knew. They were just ordinary people of Pollock Shield and, uh, and, and Glasgow who were saying this inhumane practice is not in our name. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the events of Kenmure Street generated much discussion and and, uh, representatives from a range of parties uh, have now spoken out against the practice of dawn raids. We will continue to work with our colleagues, uh, friends and elected uh, representatives to ensure uh, Scotland is a safe and welcoming place for people seeking protection. Mm -hmm. Uh, And what was even empowering and encouraging to see was that it wasn't just members of the public, but elected members, MPs, yeah. this minister MPs of Glasgow, um, and also uh, other elected members, politicians, all standing there and speaking. So it was like a whole community coming together. It wasn't, you know, the, in the Home Offices or the Home Secretary's uh, language, they weren't lefty lawyers or do-gooders or whatever. These were the ordinary people who mm. say, this is not in our name. It was from a range of backgrounds, from academics to politicians to ordinary people standing there saying, we welcome people. We, we don't want anyone to be treated in this way. Uh, and, and it was a remarkable, I think, really powerful uh, act of um, human solidarity. Uh, which which will um, be hopefully will be seat for change across the UK and and beyond. You know, it was um, it was wonderful to see those those pictures yeah. um, and the solidarity that the community showed. Yeah. John Reed, a long time ago, a long time ago, home a former Home Secretary, a Labour Party Home Secretary, is the one who coined the phrase that the Home Office was not fit for purpose. And he went about breaking it up into different agencies. I wonder 
you sitting in Scotland, Sabir, would you be better served if if the Home Office's policy positions became a devolved matter and were devolved to the Scottish government? So um, I think my, my personal uh, perspective on this is that um, welcome is local. And I can't come from Glasgow and tell Coventry how to welcome its, its uh, new people and new citizens. Mm. And equally, I can't go to Dundee and say to them, this is how we do it in Glasgow and this is how you should do it. Mm. So um, every, every place has its own unique welcome, hospitality and integration. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and, and that's ha- how it is. So that is really important to, to point out. But secondly, uh, what we have seen here in Scotland is that our polling uh, shows, we, we do quite a lot of public opinion polling, okay. uh, just to get our own understanding of where the public is at yeah. and somebody telling us. Um, so our polling shows that uh, 74% of people in Scotland uh, believe uh, it is important to make refugees feel welcome here. Mm. So that is the local welcome that I want to portray to you here. Uh, and there simply isn't a mandate in Scotland for the cruel and inhumane tactics we've seen recently mm-hmm. uh, from the Home Office. Again, Kenmuir Street, stop lock change evictions, the Aspen cards, um, and the mother and baby unit, and so on. And the, people here get uncomfortable because what it is is that um, uh, we have this vision of a, a fair, Scotland and also a fair country uh, that treats everyone equally. Mm-hmm. And anything beyond that is uh, is cutting across those ambitions of a fair, uh, just and welcoming nation. Mm-hmm. So um, for us, uh, uh, yeah, uh, at Scottish Refugee Council, we look to work with, with the Scottish and UK government to secure the best outcomes for people rebuilding their lives here. Um, no matter where um, the, uh, the, uh, the policy practice, uh, whether that is devolved to Scottish government or uh, stays with the UK government, for us, I think the most important thing for me personally and for the organisation is better outcome for refugees. Mm. I think that is that is the most important thing. Um, it's not about uh, uh, where the policy uh, formation of uh, asylum and immigration sits. Mm. It's about where we could have better outcomes. So uh, so that's what we'd be uh, working uh, towards. Uh, we'll be working with both governments to make sure um, people are given safety, they're welcomed, they're empowered, and, and they're treated with dignity and respect. No, that's... That's brilliant to hear. And finally, Sabir, um, given this refugee week, you came here quite a while ago and, and Coventry welcomed you. I wonder if you could give us your reflections of your time um, in Coventry and all of the people who've walked with you and helped you to get to where you are now as Chief Executive of of the Scottish Refugee Council. Yeah, thank you. No, I think 
Coventry will always be my home. Um, it gave me that safety protection. Uh, it, it believed in me. The city believed in me. It invested in me. Um, if I, uh, yeah, again, going back to the earlier uh, discussion, uh, had it not given me, so had I not been given status, um, then uh, I wouldn't have been able to benefit from all that Coventry had to offer. Mm. So more or less, um, uh, yeah, I wasn't deprived of the public compassion, love and, and welcome. Sadly, the new plan will be dragging people away from, from that. So, um, yeah, Coventry gave me home, it gave me education, it gave me my family. Mm-hmm. All my three children were born at Walsgrove Hospital. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, yeah, it's given me quite a lot. I think if there was anything I could do in return, I, I, would, I would do it. Um, uh, and, and also, if I was saying one person who walked with me, that would be wrong because it was the whole community, everyone, yeah. even the people who arrived at the same time as I did. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, a, it's a wonderful place and I would always see it as that beautiful city, a symbol of hope on top of a hill yeah. uh, that shines. Uh, and um, uh, I, I didn't know when I first arrived in Coventry that the city was, uh, the city had a noble legacy of peace and reconciliation. So I fled Afghanistan in war in mm. search of peace. And after some time when I realized Coventry was associated with peace and reconciliation, mm. it was it was like a gift. It was like I couldn't be in a better place. Nothing mattered more to me uh, than, than that fact that I'm in a safe place. Mm. And it's not a place only safer locally but it's projecting that safety peace and reconciliation around the world as well coventry cathedral uh, and uh, and all of other faith communities being that that kind of like a colorful symbol of hope um, so lots of people held my hand lots of people believed in me lots of people gave me opportunity uh, and what i want to say back is that every person that you see who's a stranger, who's new, uh, who, who, needs, who needs that support, if you give them that happy, welcoming, smiley face, that will always stay with them. Refugees are very good at forgetting what they have suffered, yeah. but they will never forget that warm welcome. So I also remember the first time somebody gave me a volunteering opportunity, the first time somebody gave me a job, uh, this, the first time somebody just believed in me and empowered me. And um, so all these people walked with me and will always stay with me. But one particular person I want to really pay tribute to is, uh, is, is our late friend, Penny Walker, who gave me shelter, clothing, uh, and, and, uh, and, and transformed Coventry's um, reputation uh, as a as a welcoming city for uh, refugees, so uh, Penny sadly passed away a few weeks ago. Uh, but her um, she was the the, the she, her uh, her memories and her legacy will always live on because 
she didn't only just welcome us, mm-hmm. but she invested in us. Uh, she instilled her values of compassion, uh, justice, uh, and standing up for the rights of vulnerable communities in us. Um, so uh, she will always be that symbol of hope uh, and will always be a source of inspiration uh, for me and many others uh, that she uh, she she welcomed and, and supported. So, yeah, I think everyone played their part in their yeah. unique way. But I think Penny welcomed uh, uh, many people and also um, set up many organisations uh, and structures that are today making Coventry a proud city of sanctuary. No, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Sabir, for that glowing tribute that you pay to, to Penny Walker, who helped establish the, the Refugee and Migrant Centre in Coventry yeah. and helped open the the Coventry Peace House, which has welcomed refugees from all over the world. Um, thank you so much, Sabir. Um, it's been a pleasure talking to you, and I wish you the very best of luck in your continuing work leading the Scottish Refugee Council. Thank you. Thank you very much, Nathan, for your time. And I also uh, yeah, wish you all well uh, over the Refugee Week, but also my best wishes to my city of Sanctuary uh, as it celebrates uh, the uh, city of culture. Uh, and I wish uh, everyone uh, the best in, in, in doing that. I'm sure Coventry will be glowing around the globe. Uh, and um, yeah, it will continue to be a brilliant city that it has been. No, fantastic. So for, for listeners... If you'd like to follow other events during this Refugee Week, if you go to the City of Culture website and look for Coventry Welcomes 2021, there's digital programs that are across different forms of media across the week. Until the next episode of Still We Rise, thank you so much for listening.